Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you've given us, Lord. Thank you for all that are here. Lord, we pray for those that aren't uh, wherever they are, hunting, uh, homesick, um, out on travel. We just uh, pray that, uh, uh, that you are with them. Uh, Lord, uh, be with us today during the service. Uh, help Pastor get your message through. And we just love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Been doing this series on, um, on insecurity. And we started with Timothy. And I thought it'd be fitting to end with Timothy, a passage here that I think is uh, uh, very important. Verse 16 kind of wraps up a series of thought in all of chapter 4. And, the, and this wrap-up thought is, take heed to thyself. Take heed to thyself. And, uh, and, and so as we look at this, you know, there's a phrase out there, know thyself. Or... Uh, uh, I've heard others, uh, to thyself be true. You know, by the way, just because you put some uh, old English on it doesn't make it biblical. All right? Uh, know thyself. You know, that's not really a biblical term or phrase. It's actually ascribed to Socrates. And it's not really a biblical concept. If I know my Bible correctly, the reality is I can't really know myself. The Bible tells us that the heart, which really, that's who I am, right? What goes on in my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? By the way, God then answers that question. He says, I know thy heart. I search the reins. God's the one that, 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 that knows. It to, you know, in Hebrews it says that before God, every one of us are naked and open before him. And, and he sees it all. And, and you know, we could fall into self-deception, but I just want to say no one can deceive God. And so the heart's deceitful. And if, if, if I see oneself accurately, really, we need, we need God's help to accurately assess ourselves. I need God to show me myself if I'm going to understand myself. Does that make sense? Uh, because, by the way, we love to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. That's why the Scripture warns us not to do that. We like to justify ourselves before men. That's what Jesus said of the Pharisees. You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, Luke 16. And, and so, so, just like the Pharisees, we fall into this trap. We justify ourselves because, let's face it, I want you to think the best of me. Right? I'm not the only one that thinks that way. Right? Is, that, is that fair to say? That's kind of how we all are. I want people to think good of me. I want uh, to give the best impression. And, and, uh, and so as we, as we think about this, if I am to, uh, as it says here, take heed to thyself, I have to know myself, but I can't really know myself apart from God. So we need God to help us to see ourselves. And really that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. Wisdom is God-given. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally, and abradeth not, and shall be given him. The fact is, I don't know me. I don't. You say, boy, we, we made a good pick with a pastor who doesn't even know himself. doesn't even know who he is. You know, we all have a bit of a skewed view of ourselves. We need to ask God to show us ourselves, show us who we really are. Uh, know thyself is not a biblical concept, but, but to ask God to show us ourselves is. That's the context when David says, search me, O God. 
Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting death. That was David's earnest prayer to God. God, I want you to search me. I want you to find me out. Shine the light on me. By the way, how many of you just get nervous quoting that verse? Like, like when I look at that, I'm like, I don't know if I've got the confidence to actually say that to God. Because I can tell you right now, before God even shines the light, I can give you a list a mile long of things wrong with me. Well, God, I already know biblically, I need to work on this, I need to work on this. I don't, you know, once I get these things going and I'm more like David, maybe then I'll say, God, go ahead and search me and find, see if you can find anything else wrong with me. I'm just not there. That, that verse makes me kind of, kind of coward before God, honestly, because I don't have that boldness to say that. I don't, I'm not so pious as to think that, uh, that there's nothing you could find out wrong with me. So it only takes God to find something. But really... We need God to show us Himself for who we really are. Even those areas that we see in ourselves that are wrong, we need to kind of look at the heart behind that. Why am I prone to this? Why do I draw, uh, am I drawn to this? You know, every one of us have weaknesses. Uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews calls it the besetting sin. Every one of us has something that just besets us, just pulls us aside. So as it says, take heed unto thyself. How can I do that if I don't know myself? Well, God has to show me things about myself that I can take, so that I can take heed to myself. So I can guard myself. It's, 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 it's only through God's word, by the way, that we get an accurate view of ourselves. That's why, by the way, we trumpet so much around here. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. It's got to come back to that. By the way, apart from the word of God, what do we have? Philosophy, debates, wisdom of men, that's all we have. In fact, apart from the Word of God, what authority do I even have? You see? And so we need to be careful that, that, we're, that we get everything from the Word of God. And why? Because here, here's, the, here's the issue. The Word of God is a mirror. We look into that perfect law of liberty, and what do we do? We see things that we would not have otherwise seen. What do, what do you use a mirror for? When you got up this morning, I, I, I hope every one of you looked into the mirror. And especially in the first part of the day, why do we look into the mirror? To see what we need to fix, right? You know, it's amazing. Uh, people that believe in evolution, you know, millions of years created all this kind of stuff. You know, well, let me just tell you, time does not fix anything. You see how much damage eight hours does? When you get up in the morning and look into the mirror? Time doesn't fix things. Time destroys things. But uh, you get into that mirror, and, and you look into the mirror, and what do you see? You see what needs to be corrected. When we look into the perfect law of liberty, what do we see? We see, uh, well, we see Christ, who is our mark, who is our model, who is well, one we are looking to, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we look to that, and then we also see ourselves, we see the reflection, and say, boy, boy, I've got some work to do. I've got some corrections that need to be made. You see, it shows us ourselves. You're not going to see yourself accurately apart from the Word of God. By the way, when you read the Word of God, it's not a revelation of you. All right? I, I, I want to say that because we are going to be focusing on ourselves a little bit today, but I want to, I want to just say that when you look into the Word of God, it is not a revelation of you. Too many people today, that's kind of how the modern church is, right? Uh, it's all about me, it's all about me. And you, you know, you're hard-pressed you're hard to hear them even talk about God, unless it's how it can benefit me. It's not a revelation of you, it's a revelation of God. 
It's a revelation of him and his plan. It's not a book about you. And so the word of God, insofar as it, takes, it talks about man, it tends to talk about man and his shortcomings. When it talks about man, it talks about man in his fallen nature. It talks about man coming short of the glory of God. And, and uh, it's, it's really kind of what it starts to emphasize. But as you read the word of God, it reveals to you himself, reveals God to us, and it's that revelation of him that we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. A great example of this is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 5, he's kind of looking around his society and he's saying, boy, we've got a problem over here, and boy, we've got a problem over here, and by the way, I think we've been doing that a lot lately. We turn on the TV and we say, we've got a huge problem over here, Right? We've got a problem in Congress. We've got problems in the White House. We've got problems with uh, these Black Lives Matters. We've got problems with these protests. We've got problems with these riots. We've got problems with the police. We've got right? We're looking everywhere and we're saying, look at all these problems. That's exactly what Isaiah was doing. He was saying, woe are they. And woe are they. And woe are they. There's about five or six groups that he's pointing to and saying, we got some problems. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then in chapter 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, and his train filled the temple. And, and talked about the angels, one crying to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the voice of them that spoke shook the, 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 the pillars of heaven. And then he says, Then I said, Woe is me. For I am undone. I, myself, as I've been judging everyone else, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. You know, it's amazing. As soon as he saw a glimpse of God, it gave him a glimpse of himself. And you see, when you go to the Word of God, uh, we ought to see it in that light. When we, when we see the holiness of God, and we see the majesty of God, and we see all these things, it ought to cause us to fall on our face before such a holy God, because in that light, I look very small. In the light of a holy and righteous God, I look very small. In the light of a holy and righteous God, I look very sinful. And I start seeing myself for who I really am. Because what does this world say? You just got to believe in yourself. Inside every one of you, there's a champion waiting to come out. And you just got to visualize it. Visualize success, and it's going to come. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we, you just, you just got to believe. You got to have pride in everything you do. You got to, and, 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 and you realize, if you listen, by the way, you start realizing, boy, pretty much everything they say is contradictory to this book. And it's even more a greater shame when it comes from pulpits. We look to the Word of God, we start to see ourselves. When the Bible reveals man, it really reveals two aspects, two categories, if you would. First of all, it reveals man pre-Christ, before salvation, who you were before Jesus. And by the way, I hope you know him. I hope you've been born again by the Spirit. I hope He's regenerated you, made you a new creature in Christ. And, and, and I hope that is true about you. But, but the first thing it does is it shows us before Christ. Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's you know, uh, uh, none that doeth good. And, and it kind of goes through this list showing how, how all mankind before a holy and righteous God really is condemned. The Bible shows me, me, it's not good. It really isn't. We tend to compare ourselves with each other. So I say, boy, you know, next to Blake, 
I got it all figured out. I'm, I'm, I've, got th- I've got my act together, right? And, uh, and, you know, if you really want to feel good, just make sure you're hanging around people that are just not as good as you. You know, boy, I look good, don't I? I've got my act together. But all of a sudden, we open up the Bible and we see God, the one uh, before, with whom we have to do, the one who we will stand before, and the one who we answer to, the one who is our creator, the one who is the righteous judge. We also start saying, ah, you know what? Can I get back to comparing myself to my fellow man? That's why Paul says when we number ourselves among ourselves and compare ourselves with ourselves, we are not wise. It is not wise when we start comparing ourselves with each other. By the way, be so careful because God has made every one of us different with different giftings, different abilities. And just like the servant that had the five talents, the servant that had the two, the servant that had the one, when we start kind of looking at each other, man, look at all the talents they have. Yeah, well, to whom much is given, much is required. Be careful as we look at each other in that light. Right? We all need to look to God. It's required in stewards that a man be found what? Fruitful? Faithful. That a man be found faithful. Second thing the Bible shows us, not only a man pre-Christ, but post-Christ or in Christ. Our identity in Christ. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have a new identity. It's who I am in Christ. And this is one of the things we've been focusing on the last several weeks, is that when we talk about insecurity, we need to find that identity in Christ. Have you noticed the rise in... um, I don't want to say rise, though, like it's a trend, but I've just, it seems like I've noticed it a lot more in recent years. How many people in ministry are committing suicide? These are people that are leading people. Spiritual leaders, right? Teenagers, young people. Uh, uh, all the, you know, the, the, this, this stuff's going on, and, and, and you really got to come back to this as believers. Who are you in Christ? Get in the Word of God and find out what it has to say about you and what God has done for you. We get to there, we get our lives off ourselves and our eyes on God, it changes that whole perspective. I have a purpose. And that's going to show us when he says, take heed to thyself, what we're talking about here. So when Paul is telling Timothy to take heed, he was not talking about his pre-Christ identity, but who he was in the Lord. Paul at this point, or Timothy at this point, you know, he was, we know he was saved at Lystra. He kind of grew up in that church, and, and then he went and traveled with Paul and, uh, on his missionary journeys and, and, uh, and, and was kind of trained in the ministry. And now we're at a point where he'd been ordained. It talks about it in the previous verse. Uh, he had been ordained here, and he was uh, left there as the pastor there at Ephesus. And, and Paul had put him there with full confidence that he's the man for the job. So he's talking post-Christ. He's talking about who he is. And what I want to do is show you this morning, um, as Paul was talking to Timothy, he was saying, you know, I, I want you to know who you are. I want you to understand what God has for you to do and how he has equipped you for it. And so Paul gives Timothy a strategy, and that's what I want to look at this morning as we talk about take heed to yourself. By the way, it's interesting, it says, take heed to thyself. You know what we're really good at? Taking heed of other people. Or paying attention to other people. And that goes back again to the comparing ourselves among ourselves. If we're not careful, we start saying, boy, look at all these problems. Look at these guys need to get their act together. You know, they, they, you know, they, they can't serve God until they learn how to get dressed spiritually. 
You know, and we kind of look at all these things, not realizing we're all at different stages and stuff, but, but, but the instruction is always take heed to yourself. What are you doing? We don't judge another man's servant. We look to ourselves. So think about your life. Think about your calling. Think about your position. Think about your God-giftedness and, and, and about why God has placed you in this church and, and think about what role you play. Stop and think about your life. Think about the main responsibilities of life. For Timothy, he was a preacher of the gospel. He was a, a teacher of the, of the word of God. And so he says to Timothy in verse 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Unto the doctrine. Over and over again in 1 and 2 Timothy, you see, you see this emphasis on doctrine. Why? Because the time will come and that I'd endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts will eat with themselves teachers, having itching ears, and, and be, to turn away from the truth and turn unto fables. And we see that going on today. We see this, this, this uh, turning from doctrine. Doctrine has become a bad word. Why? Because doctrine divides. And so what we have is this, this false sense of unity within churches saying, well, we just really don't talk about any of the deeper issues. We all just, you know, we all love Jesus, and so, you know, that's all we really need. And we don't get into the Word of God. So he says, Timothy, you have responsibility, is what Paul's telling him. You've been getting sidetracked. As we look at Timothy, what we see is a, is a picture of a very timid preacher. We see a picture of a man who's, who's ha is struggling with this issue of insecurity. We saw in, the, in our first week in the series, uh, the passage uh, that, that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, For God has not given you a spirit of fear. It's very important to understand because he was living in a spirit of fear, this, this timidity and this, uh, this, this insecurity. It was a spirit of fear. And these fears, what they've done in Timothy's life is they'd paralyzed him. They kept him from doing all that God had called him to do. And, 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 and by the way, think, stop and think about where you're at right now in life. And ask yourself, what has God called me to do? What, what, what are my responsibilities? What are the things God has put on my plate? And, and think about yourself. Think through this and say, God, what, what have you given me? And as a believer, we ought to think about our God-given responsibilities. Nobody says, take a key to thyself and to the doctrine. And then he says this, continue in them. Continue in them. You know what he's saying? Simplify. Simplify your life. Think about where you're at. Think about the responsibilities God has given you and continue in those things. We complicate our lives with so much, don't we? We add so much clutter that just kind of get in the way. Think about who you are. Think about your responsibilities and stay with that. Don't quit. Stay with that priority and continue in them. Why? What was the result? Notice what it says there in verse 16. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Save thyself. Now, now it's not talking about you're going to earn your salvation, so to speak. It's not talking about a spiritual salvation here. But, but it's talking about you're going, to, you're going to become productive. You're going to save yourself, your, your, your physical life, if you will. As we go forward, what was Paul struggling with? Or Timothy, he was struggling with this, this paralyzing aspect of, of fear and insecurity. And what would, what would happen was he will come to a point where, he's, where he stops altogether. As Paul was very concerned, he said, I, I bring my body into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He did not want his ministry to become unsuccessful. He did not want his ministry to be for nothing. And in essence, 
uh, he would lose it. So by taking heed to himself, he's going to save himself. He's going to allow himself to, 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 to get to the place where he'll be the most effective for the Lord Jesus Christ by taking heed to himself. It's going to be mean, meaningful in a spiritual way. And then it goes on, and them that hear thee. When you stop and consider yourself and your responsibilities and continue in that, you help yourself. And guess what? You're going to influence those that are around you, those that hear you, those that are in your sphere of influence. So what does that mean to take heed to yourself? If verse 16 is a summary of this instruction of chapter 4, then what does it summarize? Well, look at verse number 6. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I hope you're ready to use your Bible a little bit this morning. Verse 6 is where the, the imperatives begin. When, you, when you're reading your Bible, many times you might want to look for where are, the, where are the command words? Where are the things I'm giving instruction? These are called imperatives. And verse number 6, it says, <clears throat> it says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance. Here he's commanded to, put, to, to cause the brethren, the believers, to remember some things. Uh, in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereinto thou hast attained. But refuse, here's another imperative, refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather to godliness. So don't get caught up in all this talk over here, but rather exercise yourself in the things that, that bring about godliness. Verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having, pro, uh, having a promise of the life that now is, and of that which is, uh, which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. See, he was being warned, Timothy, there are some things, there are some false doctrines that are going to come in. There are going to be some errors that people are teaching, and there are even some people, as it mentions earlier, that are going to be teaching doctrines of devils. And they're going to be pulling believers away and pulling, pulling on them. And, and uh, you know, he's challenging Timothy, you're there in Ephesus, you're there for a reason, I left you there, and, and I'm giving you a very hard job. I'm giving you a job that in many ways is going to be a thankless job. Uh, I've given you a job that, uh, that people are not going to approve of. And in some cases, you have to stand alone all by yourself and not be a popular person. So, Timothy, I want you to re-engage in what I've left you there to do. This is the challenge for young Timothy. And where he was at, he was so concerned with what other people thought and how people were going, and that's, that's why Paul is giving him. You have to kind of uh, look at it and say, why was he giving him such instruction? Because he was concerned about these people. He was concerned with how people were responding. And if I can encapsulate uh, verses 6 through 10, uh, what, what Paul is really telling Timothy is, Timothy, worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Now, when I say worry, I'm not talking about, you know, the, I know the Bible says, you know, be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. We're not supposed to be worried, but the idea is quit worrying about others. Look at yourself for a minute. Worry about yourself. Stay focused, in verse number six, on teaching the Word of God. Put them in remembrance and uh, the words of faith and good doctrine. Focus on teaching the Word of God. Focus on living the Word of God. Bodily exercise profited little, but, 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 but the spiritual exercise unto godliness. He says, make sure you are practicing what you preach. Grow yourself. 
And don't worry about what everyone else thinks. By the way, insecurity is always concerned with what others think. You can't live your life worried about what other people think. You have to live your life in light of what God has told you to do. That's why in combating these issues, God gives him some imperatives. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. If you're going to be a faithful minister, you've got to do this. got to do this. Look at verse number 11. These things command and teach. Now, that's a hard thing to give someone who's struggling with insecurity. He's saying, I want you to be the main mouthpiece of this. I want you to get up and say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what you're supposed to do. And do in such a way there's really no wiggle room. Preach the word. He's told in another place. He's telling them, I know you're going to be accused by someone, some as being a dictator. You're standing up and saying, church, here's what you need to do. You've got to do this. Because what he's saying, command and teach. The word there, command... It, it, it means, uh, it carries the idea of give an order, like a, uh, uh, like a military leader. When I was in the army, uh, uh, those that were in charge, uh, they would talk to people. It wasn't kind of like, you know, if you don't mind, do you think you could just maybe uh, do this task for me? Maybe in the Air Force, I don't know, but uh, that's not how the army was. Um, <coughs> sorry, I got to get those jabs in when I can, right? Um, I'm outnumbered here anyway. It's a command. He's not saying, you know, church, really, the best thing that God wants you to do is... No, 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 it's getting up like the prophets of old saying, thus saith the Lord. Now, it's not, not mean-spirited, and it's not, you know, but, but he's saying these things, I want you to command, and I want you to teach. Your job is to not make people respond, Paul's telling them, but to preach the Bible. And do it in a way that the Bible deserves to be preached. This is an authoritative book, folks. The only book God ever wrote to man. And the way some people handle it these days, I'm kind of like, do you really believe what you're saying? This is the Word of God. Not negotiable. It's not, you know, uh, you've heard it said, it's not the ten suggestions. It's the Word of God. These things command and teach. So, so Paul's telling Timothy, worry about yourself. Embrace the responsibility of your calling. What's the responsibility? Command and teach. Fear focuses on the responsibility and the, and the things that, that, that uh, uh, oh, this is so heavy. It's such a big responsibility. Fear kind of looks at that and says, I don't know if I can fulfill this responsibility. But faith focuses on the importance of the responsibility and the one who gave it. Fear looks at it and says, you want me to do What? Faith says, that looks difficult, but I, I see the importance of it. By the way, something that every missionary has had to face. You want me to do what? You want me to go where? But at some point, they had to get to the, point where, to get, get, get to the place where they say, I see the need, and I look to the one who gave me the calling, and my faith is going to be greater than my fear. has to be. Faith focuses on the importance. Fear says, oh, there's so many people, how could I do that? Faith says, God gave me a message and these people need to hear it, whether they like it or not. You know, it's amazing sometimes the excuses and 
I've had just as many of them when it comes to witnessing to folks. When it comes to sharing your faith. What are they going to say? What are they going to, how are they going to respond? And, you know, we've got to come to a place where that grave responsibility outweighs the fear. When we recognize what's really in the balance, we recognize the one who gave the command, and we recognize the power of the gospel. It, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to anyone, everyone that believes. And if we really recognize that, we've got to get to the place where the faith is greater than the fear of the confrontation. The Word of God has an inherent authority. And so somebody needs to get up and to say, thus saith the Lord. And that's what Paul was addressing Timothy with. And he's saying, Timothy, I know you're a timid guy. I know you're struggling. Find your security in God and, and, uh, and, and the validity of the command to teach and preach. Find it there in, the, in God and in the Word of God. We have, um, we have two older kids and then a little bit of a gap and then a couple of younger kids. And, and it's always funny seeing kind of the authority struggle. Sometimes the older kids will try to talk to the younger kids as the parents talk to them. And we say, listen, you're not the parent. Okay? But sometimes... <clears throat> say there's chores need to be done, and, and guess what? The older kids are nowhere to be found. So we send a little messenger. We send the younger one. Say, go get your siblings. They've got to get the chores done. So what she does is she goes down there, and she, she goes and tells them. She doesn't say, hey, you guys, if you can, when you finish up what you're doing, uh, you know, mom and dad have some, some things for you to do. No, no, she goes down there, and she says, upstairs, now. Now, whose authority is she speaking on? Is she speaking on her own authority? Or is she speaking on her parents' authority? In fact, it's not even her own words, really. Sure, she paraphrased it. But it's her parents' authority and her parents' words. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you take away the authority, guess what? You've taken away the teeth. The Word of God in and of itself is authoritative, for the Word of God is quick, and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I tell you what, that's not a, that's not a passive description of, of some light reading. It's the Word of God. And there's authority there, and, and Paul is telling Timothy, he said, he said you, need to, you need to just herald it. You need to take the Word of God and present it as it is and as it ought to be delivered. You bring that forth. And, and the concept is this, embrace the responsibility of your calling. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? We're getting there. First thing he has pointed out is worry about yourself. Secondly, embrace the responsibility of your calling. Look at verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So what's the Bible saying? It's not saying when you get criticized, fight fire with fire. It's saying when you get criticized, uh, if you're going to take a stand for God in any sphere of life, in, in work, in school, or at home, when criticized, here's how you combat it. You live out what this verse says. Let no man despise thy youth. How do I keep people from despising it? You keep reading. Be thou an example of the believers. Here's what a, believer, a good believer looks like. In word, the way I speak. In conversation, the way I live. In charity, the way I love. In spirit, my, my demeanor, as Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. 
in faith, the way I trust God, in purity. And, and, and he lays this all out. He says, here's how, uh, you know, because here's what's going on. Timothy, in, in the first century there, in Jewish custom was, uh, basically, the earliest age you could start teaching is about 30 years old. Okay? And, uh, you know, as Jesus was looked at as a young rabbi, 30-year-old teacher, and started going into the synagogues and so forth. And, uh, and really, you're a youth really till about 40. How would you like that? You know, I'm still a youth. It's, what's this 39-year-old whippersnapper doing? Right? Um, so, so it's looked at as, who do you think you are standing up and preaching like that? You're still a young man. You don't have authority. You don't have life experience. What are you doing? And, and so, so when people come along and say, look at his youth. How can he have anything to say? Then, then the response is, well, look at his faith. Look at his youth. How can we trust anything? Well, look at his lifestyle. Look at his, his manner of living. Look at his, look at his example. Look at his purity. Look at, look at the way he lives and carries himself to the point where when the mud starts flying, none of it can stick. It's kind of what the Bible talks about when the qualifications of a pastor when it says blameless. The word there, blameless, does not mean uh, sinless. So just let's get that off the plate right now, okay? The word blameless carries the idea of without handles. Nothing to grab onto to be able to pull someone down. I'm living my life with such integrity that if someone throws mud, it's not going to stick. It just falls to the ground. So if you hear a report of somebody, they've lived their life in such a way that you're really going to have a hard time believing it. I, I really don't think that person said that. I'm going to have to have some corroborating witnesses. In fact, that's why the Bible says, receive not an accusation against an elder, but by, by two or three. And uh, why? Because, quite frankly, they're the ones that have the target on them. Can I say without any help, you guys can all come up with some, some accusations on your own pretty easily? Why? Because look at look the way you're sitting right now. Who are you all facing? You're not really looking at anybody else. And quite frankly, that's the posture of, of the church. If there are mistakes, if there's a criticism, if there's a spirit of criticism that comes in, where is it going to be directed at? So the Bible says, uh, says, you know, receive not an accusation. Why? Because he's supposed to be blameless. And if he is to be blamed, by the way, that passage continues when it turns out that there is a, a, a legitimate accusation. The consequences are pretty extreme. He's to be rebuked in front of everyone and dealt with quite harshly because he's supposed to be blameless. He says, here's how you're going to keep you from despising your youth. You be an example. Number three. <clears throat> Deal with what you cannot control with what you can control. That's, that's, the, uh, oh, sorry, that's the point of what I'm, what I'm uh, bringing us to here. Deal with what you can't control with what you can control. You can't control people despising your youth. But you can control your own testimony. 
You can control the way you carry yourself. You can control. So, so here's, the, here's the concept. When there is criticism, when, when these things are, these accusations are flying, uh, how do I respond? I, I shout louder. No. I fight back. No. I respond with what I can control. One of the greatest lessons I've learned um, in my life and in ministry and, and for my counseling office is this concept that there is a private world and there is a public world. And when I start concerning myself with the public world, I'm going to drive myself crazy. The public world is everything outside of my flesh. The church is in our public, my public world. You folks in my public world. My wife's my public world. My children are my public world. All these things. My boss, my job, all these things. That's my public world. My private world is everything on the inside of my skin. My thoughts, my actions. That, at the end of the day, that is what I'm responsible for. Did you know I cannot control my children? You say, yes, pastor, we know. That's a problem. <laughs> I can only influence, honestly. I can't control my wife. She is out of control. No, she's, she... She controls herself. I can influence. You know, I can't control you, church. You know why pastors go crazy? They think they can control the people. You can't control sheep. You can't drive sheep. You can only lead sheep. Say, so come on. And by the way, you can only go as fast as the slowest sheep. That's a simple lesson I think a lot of pastors need to hear right now. Maybe that's what I need to hear. You see, he's telling Timothy, if you're going to live your life worried about what others are going to say, what others are going to think, you're going to, have, you're going to live in a, in a roller coaster. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. Some people are going to applaud you. Some people are going to say amen. Some people are going to walk out. I've personally never had somebody just get up and walk out yet. Until now. That was perfect timing. <laughs> but I have had people say, I'm never going back there again. That's hard. Can't, but did you know that happened to Jesus? If the great teacher couldn't keep a crowd. John chapter 6. And many of his disciples went away and followed him no more. You see... It's not necessarily even the speaker. It's the truth. And it's, it's are they going to receive it and so forth. And, and, and the concept is this, that, that you, can't, you can't try to appease everybody. You deal with what you can't control, the criticisms, the, the attacks, with what you can control, my testimony. I practice what I preach because that will always speak louder than what I actually preach. Because Timothy, you can live a godly life. You can be an example. You can work on yourself. So how do we take heed to ourselves? We worry, first, you worry about yourself, not everyone else. You embrace your responsibility. You, you deal with what you can't control with what you can control. Look at verse number 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. For Timothy, this was his life's priority as a, as a preacher of the gospel, as a pastor of the church at Ephesus, as overseer of probably some of the smaller house churches there in the region. Um, uh, he had responsibility to teach and preach the Word of God. Paul was telling him, here's what I really want you to give your attention to. Reading. 
Now, that doesn't mean, you know, go find a nice quiet corner somewhere and get yourself a good novel and kick up your feet. I want you to go read. And he's actually talking about the public reading of the Word of God. In those days, they didn't have their own, you know, copy of the scrolls, you know, that you can carry around in your backpack. They didn't have it on their smartphones. They, uh, when, you, when you wanted to hear, uh, hear the Word of God, you'd come to church, and the Word of God would be read. <laughs> it is amazing, by the way, how sometimes we just try to get through it real quick. I've had to fight this in my own life and realize, wait a minute, this is the most important part. I shouldn't just read it really quick. Don't speed read your Bible. But, uh, but to stand up and give, give attention to it. Give attention to reading. To, to, to the way you read the Bible publicly. You know, sometimes the text for the sermon is like the national anthem is to a football game. You hear it at the beginning, but it's never heard from again. Or in this day and age, you take a knee. I don't know if he takes a knee while I read the Bible. But, uh, but, but, but here's what he's saying. That's the most important part. And, and he says, give attention to the reading, to exhortation. That's giving the sense of it, explaining on, on how to obey it, understanding it. And then the doctrine, the, 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 how to read it and teach it properly. Uh, by the way, we don't just go to passages and try to make it say whatever we want it to say. We, it must be doctrine. We must have some parameters that we put on it. What is it actually saying? No, no scripture is given by private interpretation. We don't just kind of pull things out of context here and there and, and try to make it say whatever we want. Uh, some are just masterful at that. We call it proof text theology. But that's not what that passage is saying. And so he's saying this, he says, give attention, give, give careful attention to how you're reading the Bible. Give the exhortation, the understanding of it, how to apply it, how to obey it, and make sure it's within its proper confines of Scripture that I'm staying true to the Word and how I handle the Word of God. Timothy, focus on your priority, and the priority is the Word of God. You might say, okay, that's great for you, preacher. That's a good lesson for pastors. But what about us? We're sitting here as you're talking about how a pastor is supposed to behave. Well, if the focus uh, for Timothy was on reading, exhortation, and doctrine, that implies that somebody's listening, right? That'd be the implication. So if it's a priority for someone to read the Bible and to teach it, wouldn't it be the responsibility for all of us to listen to it? To be encouraged by it? To learn it? The priority remains the same. The priority is the Word of God. By the way, if you see that as a priority, you're going to be more prone to come to church and say, say, God, what do you have for me today? Where do I need to grow? What, 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 what exhortation do I need from the Word of God today? And you're going to sit there and you're going to intently listen. And as, as Paul wrote to uh, uh, the Thessalonians, he said, he said, when we came to you, he said, uh, he said, when you receive the Word from us, you receive it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. And so as the Word of God is opened, and by the way, you better make sure that I always stand with an open Bible and that I'm referring to it often. One time someone came to me and said, don't feel the need to always have so much Scripture in your sermon. Hey, I'd rather have less of me and more Bible. Because that is the only authoritative and inerrant part of my entire sermon. <laughs> Thank you. I guess I could sit down now. We already read these verses. So as you're sitting here and you're listening to the preacher preach, all right, Lord. Now, listen, I'm not God. And I'm not even speaking for God in the sense of a prophet. 
I'm speaking for God in the sense of my calling and my handling of the Word of God, but I want you to understand something. But when we miss our purpose, when the Word of God is being handled, here's what we start seeing. That preacher said 27 ums in his sermon today. He lost his spot four times. He, he, uh, he doesn't know how to match his tie and his socks. And we start going down the list of all these criticisms that have nothing to do with the Word of God or why we are even here today. And let me just say, when a spirit of criticism comes in, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is next week's sermon. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. Stay tuned. But let me just say this, church. You miss your purpose when you missed my purpose. Why am I here? Why do I labor in the Word? Why do I stand up here and talk for 30 minutes? That's so funny. You know, the reality is the best antidote for insecurity is the Word of God itself. We see God. We rest in God. We see ourselves. And by the way, you know the beauty of it? We talked about this in the weeks past. The beauty of it all is we see God for who He is, and we see ourselves in that light, and yet that God still wants something to do with us. I can't get past that. He loves me like I'm His only child. I can't get past that. But God, what about this mess up? What about this flaw of mine? What about this mistake? The one who knows you best, the one who knows every flaw, the one who knows every every negative thing about you, every failure, every thought is the one who loves you the most and wants something to do with you. When I learn about God, I become far more concerned with what He knows and what He thinks than what you know and what you think. That's where God wants all of us. So we ought to quit worrying about what everyone else thinks. So worry about yourself first. Embrace your responsibilities. Deal with what you can control, not what you can't control. Stay focused on your priorities, and the priority in all our lives is the Word of God. Look at verse number 14. Neglect not, here's a negative command, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. How do you take heed to yourself? We, 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 we've looked at this, uh, you know, we, we worry about ourselves, not others. We, we embrace responsibilities. We deal with what we can't control, with what we can control. We stay focused on our priorities. And then here it is. Do not neglect your gift. <clears throat> Don't neglect your gift. If you are saved, you've been given a spiritual gift. You say, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Here's a simple test. What energizes you spiritually? What area of serving Christ just gets you excited? Where you just feel like you're in your realm, like a, like a fish in the water. Like, I've just got freedom. What, what, what area is it? When, when you teach, sometimes, you know, you're thrown into a class. Could you just fill the Sunday school class real quick? And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. By the way, you ought to give them all a try and just kind of see what happens. You might walk away and be like, boy, I didn't know what I was doing, but man, I want to try that again. 
There are, there are times when I know I've, I've exercised my spiritual gift because maybe I put in long hours when I'm kind of exhausted, but boy, I get home at the end of the day and I am just energized. My wife will grin or she'll chuckle. She'll be like, someone used his gift today. Because I'm energized. It doesn't drain me. It invigorates me. Uh, I get excited, and, and uh, what, what is it? Is it an organization when you kind of put a flow chart together? Are you like, look what I just accomplished. This is great. I don't get that. <laughs> How about when you show mercy? Is that just, just get you, you know, just, you're just so, so sensitive to others and what they're feeling, what they're going through, and, and, and when you get a chance to kind of exercise mercy, you're just like, man, this is great serving the Lord. What is it? God has given everyone a spiritual gift. Don't neglect it. When we live in fear, here's what starts to happen. We neglect our spiritual gift because we say this, well, I'm just not that good at it. I'm not good at using it. By the way, do you know even your spiritual gift needs to be developed? It may come easiest to you of all the gifts, but you can even do better. Does that make sense? I'll be honest with you. I'm not very good at my gift. I'm not. I, I, I can tell you right now where I've come short in my gift that you would think should be a natural. It's not. God has given us each spiritual gifts. And, and here's the reality. Not only spiritual gifts, but just regular talents and abilities. Those are gifts as well. When we, we're, we're members, the Bible says, one of another... You see, church is not like a club where you, you've paid your dues and you're on a membership list and, and, uh, and you, 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 you show up late and you leave early and you hope you don't talk to anybody. No, we're members one of another and, and uh, you know, if, if that's true, if I'm part of a church and, you know, it's more than just, oh, I attend the services and things, it's, that, that's not membership. Membership is we care for each other. Membership is we use our gifts and our abilities to bless other people and to strengthen the body. And what Paul's being challenge, challenging Timothy with is do not neglect that. That gift has been given you and others need it. Remember how we ended verse 16. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's for the benefit of others that hear thee. He says these people need it. And by the way, wherever your gift is, you see, you come week after week and it's very easy. You say, well, I benefit from my pastor's gift. That's obvious because that's kind of the structure of church. But, you, but every one of you, if you're saved here today, you've got a spiritual gift. And we've got to ask the question, are others benefiting from it? Are we ministering one to another? Are we members of one another? Don't neglect it. Take heed to thyself. Worry about yourself. Embrace your responsibility. Deal with what you can control. Stay focused on your priorities. Don't neglect your gift. God has already equipped you to be profitable for this church. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't hide it in a hole somewhere. Well, that guy's got five talents, and he doubled it. He's got ten now. That person's got two, and they doubled it. Mine's, mine's in the storage closet. Don't do that. Verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. After careful consideration, was what, 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 what Timothy's being told, after careful consideration, stop and think about what God has just said here. Meditate on it. Give careful consideration. Then, here's what he says, jump in. Jump in. 
Give thyself wholly to them. Jump in. Think about what God has made you in Christ. <clears throat> Think about where God has planted you. Think about the gifts God has given you. And, and, uh, uh, and you know, by the way, have you thought about it? Have you kind of looked at it and say, where are my strengths? What am I doing here? And, 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 and kind of look through this list and say, and then come to the conclusion, God has done this. Jump in. Commit to it. Remember, Timothy was struggling, and he, he was concerned about what others were thinking. He says, I want you to look at this list very strategically, uh, placed, by the way, in scriptures. It was very uh, uh, careful thought was given to it as it was laid out, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God. And he says, as you look at this, Timothy, we've already identified the weakness. We've already identified uh, the, how to handle the criticism, all this. I want you to commit to it and just jump in. Stay focused. Stay the course. Get in there. And then lead the way. It says there, meditate, give careful consideration, give thyself wholly, jump in, that thy profiting may appear to all. The word there, profiting, is the idea for progress. It literally means to clear the path that is ahead of me. Breaking the trail. Why? So that others can more easily come behind and walk the same way. We kind of understand that when winter comes, right? And you're with some, with some friends and you're walking through the snow and uh, uh, maybe you're taking your family on a walk. Well, it's dad's responsibility, so the little four-year-old isn't left behind. What are you doing? You're packing down all that snow. You're leading the way. Why? So they can come easily behind you. And this, is, this folks, is what we are doing. This is the Christian life. This is, this is the mentorship. This is bringing others along. By the way, what kind of church are we going to be leaving behind for the next generation anyway? Well, what are we planting? What are we breaking through? He's saying, Timothy, I know it's hard. We labor. But Timothy, we're the ones clearing the path. We're the ones going before so others can follow. By the way, we're still today talking about Paul. We're still today talking about Timothy. He's cleared a path for us. We look a little bit at church history. We look, at, we look a little bit at some of those that have been persecuted for the faith and some of those that have gone before us. And even, even as America's kind of facing some, some, some things and some decisions, I'm thinking back to the early days of America when people were being persecuted for the faith in America. Yes. If you've missed our Sunday evenings, you'll <laughs> catch up on those. In America. And I look back and I say, I say you know what? That's, that's my heritage. They stood firm for the faith. So when I'm, so when I'm tempted to, to, to falter, when I'm tempted to give in, I look and say, you know what? They stood firm. They paved the way. And that's, that's what I want. By the way, that's what I want to leave behind. What are my children going to face? I promise you, it's not going to be easier for our children. It's not going to be easier for our children. What am I leaving behind? I know it's tough sometimes at the workplace. The only one standing for Christ, but guess what? You're clearing a path. Sometimes it's tough even around family members when your family gets together, but guess what? You're clearing a path. He says, think about it. Give yourself totally to it. You're not defined by what people think about you. You're defined by God's declaration on your life. Take heed to yourself. It says there, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thy life and them that hear thee. The responsibility God's given you, stay at it. It's going to be good for you, it's going to be good for all those who are around you. In doing this, thou shalt save thyself. That you're going to pave the way, you're going to stay the course. 
But guess what? The impact you're going to have on those that are around you is so much greater, so much greater than that little fear and timidness that you're facing right now. You've got to look past it. Faith over fear. Why don't we have a word of prayer this, this morning?